I brought some toys tonight. I have a five-year-old son, for those of you who don't know that. And uh, this year for Christmas, which he's still asking me, like, is Christmas tomorrow, is Christmas tomorrow? Um, We're trying to explain to him how a calendar works right now. He's getting it little by little. Um, But what he really wanted this year, uh, he wanted Transformers. Any of you guys Transformers fans? Yes, okay. Uh, I was not a Transformer fan growing up. My friends had them, but I didn't have them. And so he, I don't know how he got into them, but he got really, really, really excited about them. And uh, this one right here, this, you know, thingy mabobber, uh, this was from his grandma and grandpa, right? It's cool, right? Is it cool? You guys like it? This is what mommy and daddy got him, right here, right? That's pretty cool. Uh, this right here on the box, it says for kids four years plus. He's five, remember, right? Uh, this one says for kids eight years plus. The people who put the numbers on the box know what they are talking about, okay? Uh, check this one out. This one's really, really cool. I think how it works, that's it right there. You see that? That's how a transformer works. That's why I'm calling transformers. Uh, it's a truck, right? And now, I don't know what it is, but it's awesome, right? It's an awesome robot-like guy. Uh, Asher likes this one a lot. But this is the one that he picked out. We searched on Amazon, and he was looking through all of them. This is like his thing for a really long time. And uh, this is the one that he wanted. This Transformer's name is Blitzwing, all right? Uh, It's a jet, but it also turns into a tank somehow. This comes out, that does that. I think the nose goes away somehow. Yep, check this out. That folds in there. Uh, On Christmas day after he got this, daddy spent hours, literally hours, trying to figure out how this wonderful toy, that's not a tank yet, I know, okay? Trust me, I did not plan on accomplishing this task before each of you tonight. Uh, It's literally impossible without the instructions. It turns into a fighter jet, a tank, and also like a transformer robot type guy. Eight plus, four plus, right? Uh, Think about it with me for a second though. This is how we want transformation in our life to be, right? Like I'm this and I want transformation to be that easy. It's one step, it's just that quick and it's done, it's over, it's painless, it goes from something kinda cool to something extremely awesome. One step, pull it apart, it's done, it's fast, it's quick, it's painless. This is what transformation really looks like. Like, throughout the course of our life, it is long, it's confusing, sometimes it doesn't look like you're getting closer to a tank, I'm probably not, right? And it's like one arduous step at a time, sometimes it looks kind of crazy, sometimes it's kind of off, but over time, it slowly begins to take the shape of what we're ultimately going after. Sometimes the change is so minute, it's so small that it doesn't really look like we're on the right track. And yet what we desperately desire is for transformation to just be quick, easy, and over, and done. Uh, Go ahead and grab your Bibles, open them up to the book of Ephesians, please. 
Uh, if you don't have your Bible, you could have either grabbed one on the table on your way in, or there are some Bibles in the seats in front of you. If you grabbed a Bible from the seat in front of you, it's on page 917. We're going through a series right now called To the Praise of His Glory, where all of life is about bringing glory to God Almighty. That's the very reason for which we were created. That is when we are most satisfied, is when we are bringing most glory to the Lord. And so what we've been seeing throughout this book is how we can do everything to the praise of God's glory. Uh, I just want to take a few moments to talk about where we've been so we can set ourselves up and remind ourselves of where we're heading into this evening. The book of Ephesians, it begins by describing our position in Christ. Chapters 1 through 3 are all about salvation accomplished, how God Almighty has rescued us from sin. And then Chapters four through six are all about salvation applied. So now that God has saved me, now that I am redeemed and reconciled and made right with God and the Holy Spirit now lives in me, this is how my life begins to look. Chapters one through three describe our position in Christ. Chapters four through six describe our practice. We've been uh, in chapter four here for the last couple of weeks, and what Paul is doing is he's just told us that we have received every spiritual blessing in Christ, that God has given to us everything that we need for this age and for eternity because of what Christ Jesus has done for us. He's adopted us as his children. He has filled us with the spirit of God. He's rescued us from wrath. He's reconciled us to himself. He's given us access into his very presence and where we can go to him and we can cry out to him knowing that he will do everything that ultimately brings him glory, that's good for our lives, everything that builds his church, everything that exalts the name of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul has done in the first three chapters. And then chapter four, if you're looking at it there, it begins with the word, therefore. It's pointing us back. It's saying, in light of all of these things, in light of all of these truths, in light of everything that I've just described to you, I have some truths, I have some realities I want to share with you. We said in one of our last messages of last year uh, that these truths are crucial for us to understand, and it's important for us to understand the ordering of this. Uh, the Christian life does not begin with chapters four through six. It begins with chapters one through three. The Christian life begins with who you are, the position that you have in Christ, not your practice. Position first, practice follows. You're not trying to earn grace. That's a contradiction of terms. You can't earn grace. Grace is that which is given freely, unearned, undeserved. And so chapters four through six, what we're looking at now and throughout the rest of the semester, it's not describing what you and I have to do in order to get God to accept us, in order to get God to love us, in order for God to invite us into his family. Instead, what it's saying is if you have turned from your sins and you've trusted in Jesus, then God has already adopted you and God loves you and you are reconciled with God and you are redeemed and you are made right with God in Christ. And now your life begins to look different. So we're not trying to earn our position with our practice. We've been given a position in Christ. 
and then the practice follows. And so Paul begins chapter four by saying, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. This idea of walking, it's describing a certain way of life, a certain way of thinking, a certain way of speaking, a certain way of acting. And that's what we're looking at as we continue in our series together. Uh, This kind of sets the table for where we're going tonight. Uh, So look with me at Ephesians chapter four. We're gonna pick up in verse 17. Ephesians four, verse 17. Paul says, now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So Father, I pray that as we begin to look at this passage, that we would first see this as God, you're speaking to us. This is your word spoken to us. So I pray that you would enlighten our hearts and minds and enable us to see this and to treasure this and to embrace this and to be changed by these truths. In Christ's name, amen. Uh, I'll just tell you guys the, the truths that we're looking at here in this passage for me have been some of the most helpful and practical truths that I have ever come to understand in following Jesus. Uh, These truths that we're looking at here help me learn and understand how I go and be be about looking more and more like Jesus Christ. And so I hope that it's as helpful and as practical for each of you. Uh, It begins in verse 17 by exhorting us, by encouraging us not to walk in a certain way. This is the same language from verse 1 where Paul says, I urge you to walk in a manner that's worthy of your calling. And here he says, So there's a certain way that you ought not to walk. He's saying, don't walk this way. In other words, for followers of Christ, there are two different ways in which we can walk. There's a way that we can walk that is not worthy of our calling, and there is a way in which we can walk that makes sense in light of our position in Christ. There's to be a clear difference, a distinction in the way that followers of Jesus live their lives and in the way that the rest of the world lives their lives. We as followers of Jesus should think differently. We should speak differently. We should act differently. And so, Paul begins to develop first why those who are not in Christ live in the way that they live, why they walk the way that they walk. He says they have futile minds. It says in the futility of their minds. That means in the weakness of their minds. So here's the deal. Their outward actions, their thinking, their speaking, all of it starts internally. It's not what's going on externally that we need to look at. It's what's going on internally at the surface where we begin to understand why people do the things that they do and act the way that they act. It starts inside, it manifests itself outwardly. 
Look at the passage there again, verse 17. It says, don't walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God. Why? Because of the ignorance that is in them. And it's an ignorance that's due to their hardness of heart. So follow it with me here. It's not that they're ignorant, that they don't know. It's that they first and foremost have a hard heart. Those who walk in a manner that is not worthy of the gospel, who walk in a way that is not consistent with what the Lord God has called us to, have a hard heart. Uh, Jeremiah verse 17, or I'm sorry, chapter 17 verse 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Ezekiel eleven nineteen refers to the natural human heart as a heart of stone. So when Paul is using this language here and he says, due to their hardness of hearts, he's saying at the very base, at the very foundation, what's at the very bottom of this whole reality is that you have a stony heart, unable to treasure and value and desire and beat for the things of God. It is a dead heart, it is a lifeless heart, it is a stony heart that cannot be penetrated by truth, that rejects truth, that casts it aside, that says, away with you, Lord. That's the natural heart that each and every single one of us are born with, unable to do anything that is right and pleasing before the Lord. It says it's due to their hardness of heart, but then right before that, it says that they are ignorant. Ignorance is like they don't know. There's a problem with their thinking. Because the heart is unable to desire God or the things of God, they're darkened in their understanding. They have weak minds, ignorant of the truth. At the very base it's a stony heart, and that leads to thinking that is not consistent with truth. It leads to thinking that is thinking that is contrary to the way that the Lord thinks. It starts with desires that are contrary to the Lord, and it leads to thinking that is contrary to the Lord. Wrong desires and wrong thinking then lead to an inability to walk in a manner that is pleasing to God. It says they're alienated from God, alienated from life, that all they can do, look at verse 19, they're callous, they've given themselves up to sensuality, they are greedy to practice every kind of impurity. These stony hearts, these weak minds lead to evil living. So follow this with me. Why do you and I do the things that we do? We do the things we do because we think the way we think. And why do people think the way they think? Because they want the things they want. So think about your life. Think about that area in your life that you have so desperately been desiring to see transformation take place. And you have tried and you have tried and you have tried, but you're just wondering like, why doesn't this work? Why do I keep coming up short? Why can't I change? This is so frustrating. This is so difficult. We have to understand how the process works. We have to understand how we are transformed. According to God's word, it starts at our heart. 
And our heart then, if we have the right kinds of things that we're desiring, it leads to our thinking. And our thinking then leads to the way that we speak, to the way that we act. It's the reason we do everything we do. We're not simply acting beings. We don't just have this external reality going on. We have an internal reality that drives everything we do externally. You can see it here in this diagram on the screen. Uh, This has been so helpful for me to see and understand how this whole process works. It starts there at the very bottom, at the root with our motives. This is what we're wanting. So the issue with us, friends, is that we have bad wanters. When we do the things that are not pleasing to the Lord, it's because I want something that's not pleasing to the Lord. And so I start with my wanter, my heart, where I have my desires, and there's something wrong there. There's something that's off there. And so then that leads into thoughts that are not pleasing, that are not helpful, that are not consistent with the truth. And the more and more that I start thinking in this way, the more and more sure that I become that this is right and this is what I should do. And I'm just solidifying over and over and over again throughout this process that which is contrary to the Lord. And so then externally, it produces all kinds of fruit. That's where my behavior is. So oftentimes, we get so focused on what's external, on the behavior, on I'm doing this wrong, or I, you know, I, I shouldn't have said that, and why did I do that? And it's all this external stuff when we really need to stop and we need to think, okay, wait a minute. What was going on in my thinking? What was I thinking at that time? Have your parents ever said that to you? What were you thinking, right? Uh, we've heard that before, and it's a great question. Because what we're doing externally, we're not thoughtless. Everything that we do, we think about. You're like, no, 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 no. I make like a million decisions a day and I make them on the snap of a second. I don't know what I'm trying to say. I make them really, really fast, right? I don't have time to think about them. It just happens. Uh, That's not true. Actually, every action that you do is based in your thinking, whether you're thinking about it right there in that moment or you've been thinking and it's kind of formed the way that you're acting and ultimately at the base of that, at the bottom, is our heart. From the heart comes all kinds of thinking that is ignorant, that is weak, that is without understanding. Proverbs chapter 14 verse 12 says this, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. If you have a stony heart, a heart that has not been changed by the Holy Spirit of God, then you have a stony heart that is unable to think rightly. And going down the wrong path, walking in a way that is contrary to the Lord, is something that seems right to you. And there's all kinds of justification and reasons for why and explanation, and you can kind of talk yourself into it, why it's a good idea. But in the end, its way is to death. You're blinded to the truth, settled in a way, confident that you have it right. And so you continue to produce those kinds of actions and words and thoughts that are not consistent with the truth. 419 says you become greedy. You have an insatiable desire, a desire that's not able to be satisfied by anything else other than doing that which is wrong and impure. Friends, sin is irrational. 
It doesn't make any sense. It's illogical. When people start going down the wrong path and you see the havoc and the ruin and the damage and the carnage that it brings into their lives, you step back and you're like, dude, do you not see what this is doing? Do you not see how you're setting yourself up for total and utter disaster and failure? Do you remember the last 27 times that you did that and how after 27 and 26 and 25, you came crying and you were broken about that and here you are doing it again? It starts at the heart. It's not just, oh, I need to stop those actions. It's something that's going on in the heart that's driving the thinking that's producing those kinds of actions and it makes sense. It seems right to them. They're convinced of it even though it's entirely illogical. God's word is saying, don't walk that way. Don't walk that way. Why? Because God loves you. And God doesn't want you to walk that way because he knows if you walk that way, it will be utterly destructive in your life here and now, and it will be utterly destructive in eternal ruin. And so God's word is exhorting us, hey, we don't walk in that way as followers of Jesus Christ, as those who have turned from our sins and now trusted in Jesus. That's the way we used to walk. That's the way we used to think. That's the way we used to desire, but it's different now in Jesus. Look at verse 20 with me, please. He goes on to say, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Here's what Paul's saying. He's saying knowing Jesus changes everything. In other words, you can't come to really know Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus and things stay the same. You can't keep walking the same way you used to walk. You can't keep living the same way you used to live. That's not the way that you learned Christ. That's not consistent with the gospel message because a good news that just gives me Jesus for like right here and now and then Jesus at some point way, way, way in the future, that's not good news if I'm still enslaved to sin. That's not good news if my life is still utterly ruined because I can't seem to break free and change in becoming more and more like Jesus. That's not good news. So what Paul is saying is, hey, assuming that you've heard the gospel and the real gospel, the gospel that God's word proclaims, the gospel that brings us freedom from sin in the here and now and freedom from sin forever, knowing Jesus changes everything. Rather than walking as those who are not in Christ, we're to walk as one who is in Christ, a manner that's worthy of our calling. And so he begins to describe to us how we can do that. Look at verse 22, please. He says, so you begin by putting off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt. Look at this through deceitful desires. Paul wants to clarify one more time for us. It's deceitful desires. It's these desires where it's like all promise, over promise, under deliver every time. It's deceitful. Nobody says, you know what I wanna do today? I wanna totally screw up my life. You know what I haven't done in a while? I haven't had a good cry because of the misery that I could bring upon myself. I wanna screw things up today. Nobody ever woke up in the morning thinking that. I don't think, some people might, but that's sad. Uh, 
That's not how it works. They're deceitful desires. They seem good. They seem right. They seem like something that's going to bring pleasure or satisfaction or joy, and it's totally off. So Paul says, so here's how you walk as a follower of Jesus. You begin by putting off your old self. It's the old you. It's the before you were in Christ you. The, Christ, the, the you that was deceitful, or the, one, the you that was deceived by these desires. The old you that had a wrong heart. The old you that had a bad want or wanting the wrong things. He's saying, put that off, cast that aside. You're like, practically, how do I do that? What does that mean? What does it look like to put these things off? It means to recognize what is bad, wrong, and evil, that which is contrary to God's will and contrary to his ways. Acknowledge it as the evil that it is and turn away from it. We begin by saying, I'm not doing that. I'm not saying yes to that anymore. My natural inclination was to say yes to that every time, but I'm done with that. The old me is dead. Now I'm in Christ. I put that aside. This happens initially at the moment of conversion. God replaces your stony heart with a heart of flesh. This is that first putting off. It's that turning away from sin and turning towards Jesus. Ezekiel eleven nineteen goes on to say this. He says, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and I will give them a heart of flesh. That the great surgeon, God, steps in and gives us a heart transplant, removes our stony heart and replaces it with a fleshy heart. That he takes out a heart that could not love, that could not desire, that could not want and be satisfied in the things of God. And he himself and only God Almighty can replaces that with a new heart. That's the moment of conversion when we turn from our sins and we trust in Jesus. And so now with this new heart, I have the ability to put away these old practices, these old practices that were consistent with my stony heart. We do this by knowing God's ways and knowing God's will. So hear this, uh, this right here, what you have open on your laps or on your smart device, this is God's word where it contains his will and his ways. And oftentimes it's a matter of ignorance. It's, I didn't know that that wasn't pleasing to the Lord. I didn't know that God is not about that. I didn't know that God called me to live in that way. And part of us growing in Christ is learning what God's word says so that we can learn the things that God desires, the things that God loves, the things that God wants us to be about in our lives. And so we start here by knowing the will of God, by knowing the ways of God. And we cannot do that unless we listen to the word of God. And so we begin by saying, okay, so what's consistent with my old manner of living? And what does it look like to now faithfully walk in a manner that's pleasing to the Lord? I start by saying no to the things that I used to say yes to. And this is only possible when God gives me a new heart. It's only possible by the Spirit of God working in me to help me recognize what is evil and turn from it passage continues in verse 23. He says, to be put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, verse 23, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. 
What he says is next, your thinking needs to change. Because all of the time, all of the years that you spent outside of Christ, you've just been fortifying your thinking and building up strongholds in your mind of what it looks like to live this life and the things that you should be about and the things that you should go after and the things that you should desire and the things that you should think about. And what he's saying is we have to then get at changing that thinking. Instead of thinking fleshy thoughts that were consistent with my old heart, I need to begin thinking spirit-filled thoughts that are consistent with my new heart. Now that the light of the gospel has shown into the darkness of my understanding, I'm able to see the light, recognize what is darkness, to turn from it towards what is true. I have to have a new heart, and I have to have a renewed mind. And so how do I renew my mind? I come to God's word. And I learn the way that God thinks. And as I come to his word, I begin to love his word. And I begin to love the way that he thinks. And I begin to think God's thoughts after him. Paul also wrote the book of Colossians. And it's kind of like a sister book to the book of Ephesians. A lot of crossover and overlap. He says this in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things of the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. He's saying, look, if you want to have a renewed mind, you have to lift your eyes from six feet off the ground, and you have to begin thinking about eternal realities. You have to begin thinking about who God Almighty is. You have to begin thinking about why God created you and what your life is supposed to be about. You have to think about things that last more than 70, 80, 90 years. You have to begin having an eternal perspective. You see, in our old hearts and our stony hearts were bound to this earth and were satisfied in this earth. And when God gives us a new heart, we begin to desire the things of eternity. We begin to desire the things of God, and those are the things that we begin to fill our minds with. We begin to think about and consider who God is. We begin to think about and consider who Christ is and what Christ has done for us. We begin to think about who the Holy Spirit is and the work that he's doing in each of our lives. 2 Corinthians 3, 16 through 18, Paul is describing this reality for the Jews, but it's, it's, it's helpful for all of us. It says, but when one turns to the Lord, anyone, a veil is removed. It's like this uh, piece of uh, cloth that's over our eyes that we cannot see, and then all of a sudden it's like it's pulled up And now I can see, and I can see it all clearly, and I can see it all right in front of me. It says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Hear this, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. He's saying, you turn to the Lord, You get a new heart, and in that moment, it's as if a veil is lifted from your eyes and you can see the glory of God. And not just see it and say, hmm, that's nice, but see it and love it. But see it and increasingly desire it. 
but see the glory of God and glory in the glory of God. And as we behold the person of Jesus Christ and we behold the person of Christ in his word, as we come here and as we know and understand who God is and more and more about what he's like, the more and more we behold his glory, the more and more we're transformed into his image. And it's not just when God removes our stony heart and gives us a new heart that it's a supernatural work of the Spirit of God. But it's also in this, in the renewing of our minds, it takes the Holy Spirit of God using the Word of God to shape our thinking. The Spirit of God must meet us in the Word of God and press these truths into our souls. Finally, the passage concludes in verse 24. It says, And to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So here's the process. You put off the old self. You're renewed in the spirit of your mind. And then you put on the new self. You begin walking as one who is in Christ. It's not simply saying no to sin, but now it's saying yes to being like Jesus. That our new self, our new heart, is created after the likeness of God. This is reverting us back to when mankind was originally created. Mankind was created to image forth God, created in the image and likeness of God. And then sin came in and we turned from that. We stopped reflecting the Lord as we ought to reflect the Lord. And so God sends Jesus. Jesus comes, God in the flesh, the perfect image of God, and shows us how we ought to live, but not just as an example, but also the one who enables us to live in a manner that's pleasing to the Lord and to begin again to rightly reflect the Lord. And so now I put on the new self that's consistent with the image and the likeness of Jesus. And now in Christ with a new heart, now in Christ with renewed thinking, I begin to walk in a way that's glorifying to God, a way that is filled with holiness and righteousness, as the passage says. My new heart leads to renewed thinking, which results in godly living. It works the same if you put the image back up here on the screen. It's the exact same thing. So my heart changes and then from my heart, my life draws all of its energy and nutrients and source of life from that truth and my thinking is radically changed and as my desires are changed and my thinking is changed, it begins to result in doing what is right and pleasing and glorifying to the Lord. This is how we live to the praise of God's glory. This is how we change and begin to look more and more like Jesus. It starts in our hearts asking that the Holy Spirit of God would use the word of God to change our desires. And then it continues in our minds asking that the Holy Spirit of God would use the word of God to help us to think about and consider that which is right and pleasing and praiseworthy and excellent and all of these realities that are pleasing to the Lord. And as I want the right things and I think the right way, my actions begin to become consistent with that. We become transformed into the image of Christ. So these next five weeks, I think Paul gives us uh, five practical examples of this process, of this putting off, being renewed in the spirit of our minds, and putting on and what that looks like. I think this, though, is a beautiful picture of what we've been talking about here tonight. So just uh, hear this story. Family 
was adopting four girls from an orphanage in the Ukraine. After 35 days in Ukraine, they were granted permission to return home with the girls. They were eager to begin caring for them and showing them love, so they bought them a new change of clothes to change into. They'd been wearing the same smelly clothes, the same worn out shoes, since the couple arrived 35 days earlier. The father told the two younger girls, girls, we're going home. Little Victoria asked, forever? The father said, yes, forever. Their faces lit up as they were handed their new outfits. They went to the bathroom and changed every garment. In their orphanage, upon leaving, the children had to leave behind every piece of clothing that they had been wearing. What a picture of the gospel. They put off their old orphanage garments and put on clothes from their adoptive parents. New clothes, new identity, new home, new security, new way to live. So Father, I pray that that would be each of us. Father, that you would continue the work that you have begun in us. And Father, we know that you will continue the good work that you have begun in us for those of us who have turned from our sins and turned towards you, Jesus. I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room that they would be increasing in desire for you, Lord. That you would be doing a work in each of their wanters to cause them to want things that are pleasing to you, to want you above all else. And God, I pray that that would lead to a renewed mind, a mind that is no longer ignorant of the truth, a mind that is no longer darkened in understanding, a mind that is no longer weak and believes lies, but Father, a mind that is strengthened and fortified and encouraged by your word. God, I pray that you would change us to look more and more like you. Holy Spirit of God, we know that this is not something that we can do. It's not something that we can white knuckle. It's not something that we can try and try and try and try harder. But God, it's something that we cry out to you. And then we depend on you even as we exert much effort to look like you. We do it by your power and your strength working in us. God, would you do it for your glory? We desperately need you to do the work so we don't try and do it on our own. We depend on you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.